And my hope is, although there's no metrics, there's no KPIs, there's no stat sheet, there's no right. dashboard for the decathlete of life, my hope is that I can be in that top 20% of, yeah, triathlon, and or top 5 10% in triathlons, uh, but also in business, in you know religion, in family life as a father, in whatever it might be. I hope that I can be in that top percentile so that the whole person matches up to be, a, you know, the number one in, in the world, yeah. you know, and I can't measure it, but it's <clears> how I feel. Welcome to Brainstoke. We're so excited today. Scott Mortensen is in studio with us. We actually moved studio. Thank you, Liza Telford, for allowing us to take over your office. And there's no chance we're getting it back to where it was before. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll do our best. We should have taken a bunch of pictures beforehand. Yeah, there's accessories that are now on the wrong tables and plants in the wrong places. And Totally. We, sorry, Liza. And thank you for the beverages and the Twixes. We appreciate that. We're excited today. We want to start with thanking our sponsors, Aspire Counseling and Aspire Medical. Fantastic people who are doing great work in the mental health space. Their sponsorship allows us to be here today in their office and taking advantage of, you know, the space to do this the right way, a little more uh, light. So thank you so much, Aspire family. Let's dive in today. So Scott Mortensen is here with us. And Preston, do you want to give an introduction? Because you are close friends, neighbors, and although we both know him, I, I, you just do it well. Oh, well, anyone that knows Scott knows that he's a stud, and uh, it appears he's got it all figured out. <laughs> he's shaking his head no. no. But but I think he does. Definitely not. Um, he's um, decorated in his career. Um extremely fit and athletic i tried to hold his wheel on a bike ride once when he was doing intervals and i didn't <laughs> after the fourth interval i was off the back well let's be clear you had ridden like <laughs> 17 days in a row <laughs> and you're at the end of that so yeah. prisoner you employed <laughs> indeed uh he's got legs that are the size of tree trunks and i'm super jealous of his legs but so scott has been in the medical medical field um, administration side of the medical field for your whole career, I yeah, think. 15, 20 right? years. You're, you're out of Logan, Utah. You played college soccer mm -hmm. at Utah State. Um, you served an LDS mission in South America. Yep. Um, and you've got, let's see, four boys. That's right. And um, they all are unique in their own way. Two of them are twins. Your, your youngest yep. are twins. Uh, you're married to Kara, who's a gem. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, we want to hear it from you, not necessarily from me. Oh, that's so, awesome. um, I think we can be done. Yeah. We done <laughs> wrap it. So maybe no, 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 no. <laughs> we have to, we got to, I want to know if he's a leg shaver. I mean, of all the things we go through today, I'm a leg trimmer. you're okay. <laughs> yeah. So you don't, you're not a bicker. No, I do everyone's <clears> well. when I, when there's a competition coming up or whatever, Yeah, but I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not a guy that likes hair. <laughs> For some reason, and so yeah, I, I wanted to mention Bic because you know our pie in the sky aspirations is that we have a leg sponsor. So you know, someday 
<laughs> Maybe my calves, but that's. <clears> really so else I, I think you were on the podium recently. Let's be honest. You uh, jumped in uh, to what what race? Uh, yeah. Remind me. Yeah, East Canyon Triathlon. Okay, and I remember I seeing a picture of you standing on the podium, and how tall are you? Five nine. Five nine. And a, you and you a don't half. you don't weigh anything, but his legs are ginormous. They're monsters. And I, re- I think Tom texted me uh, the picture of you on the podium. He's like, dude, check out Scott's legs. Yeah, thanks, Mom. <clears throat> I got the thunder thighs from soccer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> dude. Uh, oh, anyway. What he meant to say was, <laughs> thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang it. Uh, um, <clears throat> tell us about your... Tell us about growing up in your home. What was it like? Yeah. So I grew up, like you said, I grew up in Logan. Um, my dad was a family physician and OB type doc when back in the day when you did both. Um, he grew up, they both grew up in Salt Lake, both my mom and my dad went to East High. And my dad was, com- and he will admit it, he's a complete nerd in high school, didn't even think about girls, um, went, um, went to medical school the same time he swam at the U. He was a um, he was an All American swimmer at the University of Utah, actually. And then my mom was a free spirit. She was, you know, who knows where my mom was. She was off, uh, you know, taking a nanny job in New York or whatever, or, in, or living in Hawaii with her sister, or whatever it was. And they met up actually after, <clears throat> um, like, a little later in, in life. And uh, and um, then they got married. He went to medical school and went back to Detroit for residency and then came back. I lived in the same house my whole life. Um, so they bought a home uh, 44 years ago. Hmm. And just, what, three weeks ago, they sold the home. So we as a family got together and had a little party with everything out of the house. And just remembering all the memories there was unreal. How surreal was that? Yeah, so crazy. Yeah. And to know it's done is a little hard, but at the same time, really cool. So, yeah, I grew up there. Um, I am the third of six kids. So I know you guys have talked a little bit about this, but um, family and um, and birth order is kind of a is kind of an interesting thing, right? Um, two older brothers, two younger brothers, and the youngest sister. So five boys and then a girl at the very end. And the thing that I think is most unique about our family is you have my dad, who's this medical intellect, you know, um, athlete, and you have my mom, who's super creative, wildflower, you know, free spirit type lady but super service oriented and always doing, always doing. She never sits still. And you have, you take those two things combined and we had a pretty unique, you know, set of kids. So my oldest brother, um, Owen's super creative. He's an artist now for his living, but at the same time was a, you know, an athlete back in his day when he was a younger kid he was ranked in the top 10 in the nation, a triathlete. And, um, and then you have the second brother who's now an anesthesiologist, intellectual, really smart, super high ACT, that type of guy. Um, and then you had me, and I was f- about four years behind him. And um, and I was kind of a people pleaser like you, but I also wanted to be competitive with those two. And everything they did, I wanted to try and do it better for some reason. And it, in, in a way, I think it was just innate. I was just born with that nature of wanting to, you know. Did they know you were trying to beat them and oh, everything? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we'd play basketball in the backcourt in our house, and and if I lost, I'd get ticked off and cry and <laughs> kick the ball and whatever else, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and so I was always competing with them both on the sports side and on the, on the intellect side and wanting to do my best in school. Um, and then, of course, I had my younger brothers who were 
one was totally into horses and as a cowboy and one's a super creative and um, into music and all those other things. And then my sister was just a sweet sister to have. So anyway, that was our family. We grew up in Logan, a two acre lot. We had a horse corral and a barn where we had some chickens and horses and things like that. But more than anything, what I remember there is mowing an acre and a half with a push mower. Mm -hmm. And it took us literally nine hours every Saturday. Wow. And we had to split it between the four of us so we could actually get it done and we wouldn't give up. Um, and got paid zero, like maybe 50 cents an hour for, for mowing the lawn. And as soon as all of us grew up, my dad got a riding lawnmower. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> How it has to work. I love this. So, um, <clears throat> so that's what I remember probably most about that. And then just, we didn't have all the, co- we didn't have cool toys and things like that. But what we did have is my parents were just awesome to my friends. So all of our friends wanted to be at the house, uh, wanted to, you know, to kick it and and listen to music and eat nachos and whatever else at my at my house. So yeah, that's kind of me growing up, um, at least in that house. Now, I if I remember <clears throat> as a as a young boy, you worked, you were a janitor at your dad's uh, clinic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How was that? Oh man, crazy! So you'd go in and right, and it was um, like nine o'clock every night. Um, I was twelve years old, all the way up till I left served a mission, so about eighteen years old. Um, and it took about an hour to an hour and a half every night. Yeah. And every once in a while, probably more often than not, I'd take some friends just to make it like, so we could hang out. Right. Yeah. And so they'd come and help me and I'm not sure how much help they were. It probably took us longer because they were there, but, um, I saw everything from ringworms in the garbage to, to bloody everything (laughs) in the garbage. So it was kind of interesting, but, um, taught me a lot to say, Hey, I get 20 bucks every time I go. I'm going to make a hundred bucks as a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. That was awesome for me. Yeah. To learn that. Did you ever climb into your dad's office chair? Did he have an office? He had an office. Yeah. Did you ever find yourself sitting in there? Gosh, it usually had like stacks of charts that I couldn't even sit in his chair. (laughs) So not a ton, but I do remember, um, I think more than anything, what I remember from my dad's, um, profession was just going to the hospital with him back in the day when you could go round. Um, when I could go around with him, I remember being seven, eight, nine years old, going into the hospital to the unit, talking with the nurses, getting a little cup of Sprite and going around and talking with his patients with him and him leaving in tears, just thinking, man, I wish, wish I could do more for those people. I love those people. I just had to diagnose him with such and such. This is back when HIPAA wasn't. That was your dad saying that saying that to you. And just caring about the people he cared for. And so it made a huge impact on me about, oh, okay, this is why we do things. We do it because we care about people. Is that when you knew you wanted to be in the medical field? Yeah, for sure. As a younger kid, I wanted to be a doctor. But then as I got older into high school and otherwise, I really learned to love leading, managing groups and people. I learned to love business and just starting creating something. And, you know, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me to say healthcare is a a meaningful thing and not that selling widgets or doing this or that isn't. Uh, but man, that one was, that's meaningful to me is to care for people and their lives and their yeah. health. Right. And you're pretty particular now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Your desk has to be a certain way. Oh yeah. Cord management. 
you know it too well. Are you freaking out right now? Uh, no, it's feeling really reach good, up, actually. I'm reach up, good. grab that red cord, yeah. put it up over this thing, and that way it's not draping for you. Yeah, did you, you notice? Yeah, because <clears> we <throat> set up the studio, you know, just an hour before you got here, we have cords going a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. And you're, are you I'm feeling sweaty up. palms. I, I, I see okay. a couple things here that I could fix pretty quickly. <laughs> Continuous improvement. <laughs> Uh, it's not that bad. Come on. It's not that bad. No, I am pretty particular, though. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that. Like, what's your earliest memories that you have of being particular? Because it's kind of, I'm, I'm intrigued to know about this being a middle child. Okay, here's a good example. So um, I'm like 12 years old, maybe, maybe 10, 10 or 11 years old, probably, because I was still in elementary school, fifth grade. My friend and I had this idea that we each wanted to get a pair of Air Jordans, right? Back in the day and even now, right? Of course, they're super expensive. Yeah. <clears throat> and I can't remember if it was the threes and fours or the fours and fives, but um, we each wanted a pair. And so my dad said, you know what? We can get you a pair of Air Jordans, but you have to earn half of it, right? You got to earn 50 bucks and I'll pay the other 50 bucks. So I worked pretty hard. I, you know, 10 or 11 years old, it wasn't easy to earn 50 bucks back in the day. Um, and so I finally earned 50 bucks and I got this awesome pair of Air Jordans and my friend and I actually swapped a shoe for a shoe. So I had a four and a five and he had a four and a five. And, um, and, um, we did that for a few days. Right. And then I took my pair back and every night after I wore my pair of Air Jordans, I would get a rag, wet it, wash off every little scuff that was on the Air Jordan, even the bottom of the shoe. Right. I wanted mm-hmm. to keep the, because I earned 50 bucks worth. That took me like three months to earn. I'm not going to give up on these things. I put them in the box every night, you know, hoping that maybe the new shoe smell would stay or something. It was that particular. Yeah. And I kept those things for, you know, probably two and a half years until my shoes, you know, until my shoe size, I was, I didn't, I didn't grow very fast, but I kept those things for a really long time because I, one, I earned it. And two, probably just because they were so cool that I had to show that. There's a lot there <laughs> to unpack that I no, it's not. But I think that that is something that is foundational. You know, when you really kind of go back to what are the things that I start, you know, that you start to cut your personality on, that you can kind of go back and go, hmm, that was really interesting. And what what helped shape those things? Take us back into you know the early teens or whatever. You know, I know you as a pretty incredible athlete, so. Talk a little bit about athletics and school and and why that was, you know, something that you really cut your teeth on or that, in my opinion, it became a, a key persona of you. Like when I think of Scott, I think of a lot of things, but I, I, you know, I think of an athlete. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, this is fun to think about because um, not too long ago, my dad gave us for Christmas, he took all of our family videos and he put them on to... CDs, which I don't even know how to get anymore, but somehow we got them onto <laughs> a computer. And um, one was one of my earliest races I ever did. Um, and I ran up at Utah State. There was this, there was this um, course that they did. And I think I took third out of the whole thing. And I was like 12 years old and I just pushed myself so hard. And seeing the joy that came out of my face on this video was like, that's maybe where it started is this race when I was 10 or 11, 12 years old. It was probably two, a two-mile race or something. But, man, I knew I had something there. 
And so that, and then I go to like sixth grade, we had an awesome PE teacher, Mr. Bettinger. And this kind of goes to the education thing that you guys were talking about. My mom was a teacher's aide and she still is 78 years old and she's still going to school teaching kids and helping I mean you talk about your parents that similar right and um so sixth grade Mr. Bettinger had something um during uh once a week during lunch hour it was like an intramural mural sports and basically it went the whole year and um every single week on Wednesday during lunch you could come and participate and it was everything from juggling and seeing who could juggle the longest, to the 100-yard dash, to kicking field goals, to one-on-one and three-on-three basketball, to you name it. And by the end of the year, whoever won it was the athlete of the year, right? Mm. And so I'm like, okay, from the very beginning, I know who my competitors are. Mm. I got Brandon Thurgood over there. I got Steve Marshall over here. I got (coughs) Petty over there. These three guys and whoever else are amazing athletes. I'm going to take them down. Well, um, you know, I maybe killed it in some and, and didn't do so well in the others. And I mean, that was like, like my life. I went to school for that <laughs> and I wanted to get good grades, but like every day, that's all I thought about lunchtime. Okay. How am I going to do? <laughs> I got to wear the right clothes to be able to compete yeah. in this thing every day and ended up in the end of, at the end of the year, took second place to darn Steve Mich- uh, Marshall and Steve is awesome. He's an athlete, uh, just like a unique specimen. Um, left footer, left hander, um, still stay in touch with Steve. <laughs> and so uh, that I remember as well. Um, ended up in high school playing, you know, soccer all four years, varsity three of those four years, um, ran cross country um, all four years and loved that. I remember my freshman year, I ran in this JV complex meet where there were, I think, seven or eight schools and took first place on the JV. It was my second race ever. And my dad saying, dude, if you really practice this, you could kill it. And it, was, it wasn't a love of mine, so I didn't practice it and probably didn't kill it as much, but I was on the varsity team the rest of the year and, and throughout the rest of my career and absolutely loved that. It's one of those sports where you hate it throughout the year, but then when you're not doing it, you really miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want it back. And then played basketball for two years, freshman and sophomore year, um, and then swam my senior year just for fun because uh, my dad did it and all my yeah. brothers did it. When did you know you were the the best soccer player in the family? Um, gosh, pretty early because my brothers were horrible at soccer. <laughs> uh, no, they played on like some racket <clears throat> teams, uh, but you know, I really got into soccer as a, at a young age. I was on the uh, the Utah Olympic Development Team and um, the ODP team is what they called it at the time. And then um, I was really lucky. My the college coach um, at Utah State picked selected um two high schoolers to play on the college team um each year and got to do that with a friend of mine um my senior year cool and then um played one year up at utah state after that so two years on the college team and i think just some of those experiences of being being asked to play on this was back in the day when it wasn't this you know popular you didn't have traveling teams but as much but being asked to play on those traveling teams made a difference and so that was fun yeah so where'd all your confidence come from? Because even in sixth grade, you sounded pretty dang confident. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, part of it is just um, nature. I think I was blessed with just an ability to say, you know what, whatever you, whatever you put your mind to, you can do it. And second was um, parents that gave me confidence and just saying, you know what, Scott, this is you did awesome there. My dad, gosh, he was so good about managing up the kids um there's a term right called managing up or yep. bragging on or whatever 
whenever we were in public settings, and I, now I know he did this on purpose to give us confidence, was just, you know what my son just did? He just did this. And he scored 22 points in this last game, or he had three goals and in a, in a, an assist in the last one. It's like, and it gave me confidence. Like he cares and he sees that I'm trying, you know, my, my best. And then lastly was just having brothers and whether they let me or whether I just worked really hard and beating them and something finally, that gave me a lot of confidence. So <clears throat> now I know where you get it from because I've <clears throat> witnessed you coach up your own kids. Um, you you help um, want your oldest boy uh, with regards to his backcountry skiing. His You've given him opportunities to excel there. And then Eli, you mentioned Eli's name, uh, <clears throat> he's a phenomenal football player, mm-hmm. and you brag on him and coach him up. What does that mean to Eli? Oh, man. Gosh, I'm going to get emotional now, too, because kind of a sensitive topic, right? Um, your kids, you live through your kids, um, and all you want is the best for them. I guess that's what I'm seeing now with my parents is they just wanted the best for us. And they gave us every opportunity for that. So I'm hoping that what it means for him is that it allows him to see, first of all, that his value is not just in sports. Um, and I can't tell you how often I try and reiterate that I appreciated his effort more than anything. Right. His yeah. effort in that game was just awesome. Killer. Cause in reality, that's all I want, right. Is effort wins games, not scoring. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I, for example, Eli two days ago dunked it. It's 13 and dunked it on a 10 foot hoop. <laughs> and I took a video of it. I'll send it to you guys after I've shared it with probably too many people, <clears throat> every coach he has in football and basketball. Um, and he knows that now. And I think, I hope that it gives him the confidence to say, you know what, my dad, even my dad thinks that I'm cool and that I'm doing good things. So I better keep doing those good things. Yeah. Cause that's what it did for me. Yeah. It was when my dad did that for me. And same thing with Will, you know, just seeing that he lands a backflip or that he right. hits the gnarliest double black and, and kills it. It's um, that, you know, he kills, he kills me in skiing now. And I hope he sees that it's because he's put effort and time and, and intensity into it. Yeah. Awesome. There's a theme I feel like that is emerging even as I hear hear you talk about, you know, the way your parents treated you, the way that they treated other people, the way that you are now doing it with your kids. They're they're I mean, you said it well managing up, but you know, there's there's the concept there of, you know, if you treat a person as they are, they'll stay as they are. If you treat a person as they can become, they will become that person. Yeah. And <clears throat> that that was the case in terms of how your your parents treated other people coming to the dinner table and you know how they treated you know you and your siblings and that it's pretty remarkable you know to see and you're seeing it manifested in your kids but it continues to manifest itself for you you know and so continue the journey with us so athletics were obviously a big deal you know it became a driver um incredibly competitive. You know, what I just heard you describe was an incredibly competitive person who, you know, even wanted to be the decathlete of the elementary school. <laughs> oh, I've even played cornhole <clears throat> with Scott. Yeah. And he, he was, he made sure to crush me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 
so okay, so I am super competitive, and it's not yeah. just in sports, right? I uh, in school we talk about this. Um, I wanted to be the one who got the award at the end of the year for not missing a single day of school. Yeah, right, and getting the. I, I got a few A minuses and a couple B pluses in high school, and I was ticked off, right? Um, and I, again, I think it's one little nature, but also just because my brothers were that great balance, and balance is really important to me. So, to that um, decathlete perspective, I mean, my goal still in life is to be the decathlete uh, of life. So, take for example, um, I get this from my dad, so you're gonna have to bear with me. I'm, I'm a f- full um, full load of uh, useless knowledge, right? <laughs> useless information. So um, Ashton Eaton, right? He won the gold in two Olympics um, for the decathlon. My yep. dad always used to say that the decathlete is, you know, the athlete of the world. Yeah. They can do everything. Yeah. Four track events and six um, field events, track and field events, um, make up the decathlete. So if you take Ashton Eaton um, and take each individual, at least in the 2016 Olympics, take each individual event, um, he he only finished first in two of those 10, right? Most of the others, he was middle of the pack, 18th. A couple of them, he was second or 10th or whatever, but he was middle of the pack. Um, and yet, added up, he was first place. And my hope is, although there's no metrics, there's no KPIs, there's no stat sheet, there's no right. dashboard for the decathlete of life, my hope is that I can be in that top 20% of, yeah, triathlon and or top 5, 10% in triathlons, uh, but also in business, in, you know, religion, in family life as a father, in whatever it might be. I hope that I can be in that top percentile so that the whole person matches up to be, a, you know, the number one in, in the world. Yeah. You know, and I can't measure it, but it's <clears> how <throat> I feel. Why? Why does that matter to you? You know, I mean, you can feel it even when you, you know, spend time with you. But why is it that way? What is it in your belief system that you're that that is important to you, that you collectively that it mounts up to X or whatever you're shooting for? Why is it that way? And where did it come from? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, it goes back to your five S's. Um, I think it gives me joy and happiness. Um, whether it's the stoke part of your S yeah, or whether, you know, it's my own philosophy of adding a sixth S, you know, whatever that S is. I mean, something about creating something about maximizing life. Cause in reality, I mean, at the end of this life, um, we're about creating memories. We're about creating experiences. We're about creating businesses. We're about creating family. We're about creating the best self that we can be. So whether that maybe that S is self, right? And make sure you take care of yourself and do the best, become the best self that you can be. And that's where joy is. Now, yeah, you have to recognize, and I need to do a better job, honestly, of just appreciating where I'm at and being happy with where I'm at. Yeah. But also like, okay, what's the next step for me to be my best self? And I don't know where it comes from. Um, again, going back to nature versus nurture, I think it's a little of both. Um, but I think I just can't sit still. I can't. Um, just be okay with sitting still in any part of my life. Um, I got to be doing something to not just improve, but to enjoy life too. Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking, I wonder when the last time he just kind of vegged on the sofa. Can you sit? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I, I, 
vulnerability here. Kara and I are on this huge binge of Seinfeld right now. <laughs> well, okay, that's <laughs> so for about an about a half huge an hour to binge. an hour every night. Um, we're on season six, and it's taken us about four weeks, right? <laughs> But hey, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go all in. I love it. So um, yeah, so I mean, I I do that, and I think that actually allows me the rest of the time to say I'm going to maximize the rest of the time. So, I mean, not to say I don't sit still by any means, but I probably do have a little too much ADD, which I'm okay with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, <clears throat> one of your philosophies or something that you think is really important in your life is balance. Mm-hmm. So. Right now, we painted this picture of super driven, always on the go. Something's always on the calendar that you're chasing or getting after. So, how do you f- how do you find the balance? Other than Seinfeld, I mean, are there other ways that you're finding balance in your life? And is that what are those outlets? Yeah. I mean, um, as a kid, I actually did a ton of musicals. Um, my mom was super creative and artistic. How come you haven't? I haven't heard you sing. Well, because that's why I got out of it. <laughs> You probably have heard me sing. Are you about to break into song right now? <laughs> I mean, I can if you want. <laughs> uh-huh. You'll lose viewership and listenership. <laughs> no, so I did a ton of musicals, and I loved art. I still draw to this day. I took AP art in high school and absolutely loved it, mostly like uh, Prismacolor, pen and ink type stuff. Yeah. And that is a huge outlet for me huh. to be able to draw. So whenever I can with my kids, I draw i've got this picture that i've been working on for four years now just because i don't have as much time but every time i'm you know stressed that's what i do can you let it out of the bag what is this picture of it's actually cool it's um it's a cool one i actually think it would be a cool thing for aspire it's a it's a man who you can just tell is distraught it's a pen and ink so it it's really really detail oriented Hmm. um he's got he's got kind of three four days whisker growth He's got a ton of wrinkles, and you can see the wrinkles in his hands and his fingers um, and the age. You can see his wisdom. You can see the wrinkles in his eyes. And so I, to me, it just, it just like, oozes um, wisdom, and, and life's hard, but we can get through it. So I think that's one thing that I do to balance <laughs> life in general. Um, ice cream is a huge... I, that, that I know. ...huge thing for me. I, I could eat ice cream, and almost uh every day i do eat, do eat a little bit of ice cream just to every day balance life almost every day <clears throat> was your dad an ice cream guy no i mean we had aggie aggie ice cream up there right so we had this awesome dairy um that would produce ice cream we had an, uh, a neighbor who owned charlie's ice cream so we'd go get shakes so i'm i'm pretty particular i like my <laughs> shakes thick <laughs> I like them flavorful. I like a lot of chunks. Do you do you do you have your shake through a straw or a spoon? Oh, spoon. Stop 100%. it. Straw. <laughs> I love runny I shakes, dude. I'm sorry. I like no. I like a straw. Preston, I think we just distanced ourselves a little bit here. Dude. <laughs> Something. I'm pretty particular as a. How do you feel <laughs> about raspberry Oreo? For That's those of you that combo. didn't notice during Preston's interview. <laughs> He pretty much has been a senior citizen since he's 21. <laughs> There's some he's drinking shakes. Do you, do you put Miralax he in He takes his carrots shakes. in a blender. <laughs> to keep regular, do you keep Miralax in your shakes? Oh, no, I don't need that. Man. <laughs> um, so I actually, my one of my favorite shakes is um, peanut butter raspberry. Oh, So what? think of like a PB&J with milk. What's okay. better than a PB&J with milk? So you put peanut butter and raspberry in a shake, and that's what you got. Wow. I thought I, I was pretty <coughs> proud of raspberry Oreo. Yeah, that's pretty, that but, sounds good. But that's interesting. I've never done it. I'll have to try that one. Yeah. So those are a couple examples of maybe the outlets that I use to, 
maintain some balance. There's plenty of others. Hey, just real quick, I'm interested to know, when you go see your brother's work, who's an artist, Yeah. do you want to compete with him? You're like, I could draw that. Oh, man, his is, um, he does some cool stuff. It's like um, outdoor <clears throat> nature. He takes antlers. He takes um, leaves. He takes branches and turns them into really high-end wow. art for Jackson Hole, for, you know, Vell Aspen type yeah. um, um, galleries. What, what's his name? Owen Mortensen. Is it Owen Mortensen, Owen Mortensen art? Art.com or something like that. Hmm. I, I can't remember, but... Um, awesome artwork and so i know i can't even compete with him but i did work for him for a couple of years and tried to learn the trade but yeah he's just too he's just very very detail oriented so it's that's awesome. cool huh. yeah. i have to look it up yeah. can't compete at that level yeah yeah <laughs> well he's earning a living in as an artist i know that's, that's impressive awesome. it is i mean pretty awesome yeah uh side note yeah are you a true aggie i am not <laughs> karen knows this but not with my wife <laughs> So I dated a girl in high school that um, I just, I, I thought the world of. I'm so like, you became a Turaggy before you enrolled at Utah State. Yeah, I think I was a senior in wow. high school. Wow. It was one of those midnight, um, let's break the Guinness wor- Book of World Records and everyone go, you have to be touching how many people kissed at the same time at the same place. So. Always ahead of your time. Always. <laughs> no. Never JV. <laughs> Never oh, JV. JV. Plenty of things. On on the topic of Kara, <laughs> take us through that. Just the the love story, you know, teen years. Take take us through that time frame of like later high school into LDS mission and in wedding years. Yeah. Um, so love dating as a high school kid. Um, just wanted to get to know girls from other high schools and from my own high school and and just have a blast. Um, and um, dated a ton of girls. Really liked, you know, a couple, a few girls, but at the same time knew that it's like we're in high school, we're having fun. Um, and then um, as I got into college after my mission and got into college, I, I recognized that um, dating for with a purpose was was pretty key. Um, was dating a girl from Salt Lake, um, great girl, but um, I, I tended to be driving down there more often than she was driving up. And I wanted a two-way, you know, relationship for sure where, um, where she felt the same. And so I was, um, I was the um, LDSSA president up at Utah State for that year. And um, we had a chance to, to uh, people would apply to be on LDSSA. And uh, I had this one pager of you know, dozens and dozens of people. And there was, and I would thumb through them, right? Here's who I am. Here's where I'm from. Here's what I'm studying in school. Here's what committee I want to be on. And I was thumbing through and saw one particular, it was like a one by one picture, but it was this cute blonde girl with blue eyes, Kara Hopkins. Okay. I need to get to know her. I want her on my committee. And we did this little draft among the yeah, you did. presidency. <laughs> Abuse of power. You know, this is the theme. <laughs> I never had the keys. I didn't have any keys like Preston did. But Did you have a sweater? So I if told there was pre- an LDS, I told Preston sweater, this, um, like, uh, there was a ago, cardigan for sure. I actually was a three time student body officer as well. There you go. And I was senior class president. So I'm still doing all the reunions too. <laughs> there you go. But I never we got keys. Commiserate. Like you did. <laughs> So anyway, I, I saw her on this. I'm like, yeah. I gotta have her on the committee. Well, we did this draft, and the person right before me got her on her committee, and I was kind of ticked off. In the end, it worked out really well because we were dating while I was the LDSSA president, which <laughs> was a little frowned upon, right? <laughs> like you can't get married until after you're done with your presidency. So 
um, I actually, one of my biggest fears, I don't know why, because I come from a really stable family. Um, one of my biggest fears in life was if you're going to get married, find the person that's right for you that you won't ever need or have cause to get a divorce. And I don't know why that was so prominent in my, because, again, I came from a really stable family. But it took me a while. Uh, one, I think I was having fun dating in college, right? And, and I was runner-up Mr. USU, and I was I felt like Stop I was cool, B, you know, BOMC, whatever it is, big man on campus, BMOC. But so I thought I could, you know, I thought, oh, I can yeah. conquer whoever I want or get, you know, get the lady. <laughs> but in the end, that didn't even matter. It's like <clears throat> I want to find the person that's the right fit for me. And so it took me. We dated a year and a half, which in most you know cultures is like super short. In Utah, it's a really long time. Yeah. And we broke up a couple times. I tried to date a couple other girls, and I just kept going back to Kara because she had everything I needed. Yes, she's beautiful, and she's just awesome in so many ways, but she is grounded. She's super organized, which I needed. I'm an optimist, and so I'm always trying to do one more thing instead of you know, being on time and being organized. She's great that way. I knew, okay, she'll be an amazing mom. She'll be an amazing person to be with, and she'll help me drive to be better. So it took me about a year and a half to figure that out, but um, we got there and it was awesome. So it's yeah. been awesome ever since. 20 years in a month. Congrats. So thank you. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, at some point it would be fun to have her in, but yeah, for for the listeners, Kara's amazing. Like she is one of those women who you meet, you're just like, man, she's got it all together. Yeah, she does. You know? Her shoe That's game cool. is strong too, by oh, the way. She, she My wife shoes. loves her shoe game. <laughs> You've got strong shoe game, but she's got really strong oh, yeah. shoe game. Yeah, and I'm competitive with her in that too, but I she beats me <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Kara's awesome. So you kicked off as as um newlyweds, got married. Take us from that going forward. Yeah. Dive into that. Okay, so um just <clears throat> before I do that, before because I, I I you know, in, in preparing my own mind for this, I wanted to make sure that I at least shared some vulnerable things too. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really, um, you know, I've, I've talked about the things that made me compete both in elementary school, middle school, high school, and beyond. But, um, you know, there have been a few major trials in my life as well. And one of those is a kid. Um, it sounds kind of funny, but everyone, um, each of us has our own trials. And honestly, if we each wrote down our trials right now and put them in the middle of this room and picked a paper up, we'd, we'd probably say, okay, that's their trial. I'd rather take mine because mm-hmm. we can handle them, right? One of mine was homesickness. Um, from a very, very early age, I can remember my parents going on a trip to Hawaii for like four or five days, and we had a babysitter, and I went crazy. I couldn't eat, and I, couldn't, and I, 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 I just went crazy. I couldn't, um, in sixth grade, I couldn't go have a sleepover at my next door neighbor's house because I was away from my home, Hmm. from normalcy. In seventh grade, they had to um, give me at school a special assignment to go be in the office for an hour during my break hour so I could call home and talk to my mom, right? And as I got older, I mean, I'm playing soccer at Utah State and I still get homesickness. We're going to, you know, play at Pacific and Cal Berkeley and we're going to play in Phoenix and we're going to play these other places and I would get super homesick. I um, got my mission call right in the middle of that and we're playing at BYU and I'm so homesick. I'm so 
worried about this homesickness that's going to come to me because I'm going to go and leave for two years and be away from my family. And I literally couldn't eat. All I could had eaten for two weeks was those boost like protein drinks. Yeah. And I'm playing soccer on the field and literally faint on the field because my energy was gone. I was so worried about leaving home, carry me off. And I, I went to a psychiatrist and psychologist and, and just to better understand how can I overcome this trial? And back in the day, it, it was, it was a weird thing and an abnormal thing to go seek help from others, um, you know, therapy that way. And honestly, it just took time. Um, it took me praying day and night for months. I lost 15, 20 pounds on my mission. I'm not a big guy, and I lost a lot of weight on my mission um, trying to say, you know, help me get over this. I've had it for 20, 15, I guess it was like, what, 12, 13 years at the time. Just help me get over this trial. And finally, it was just one day that it just left me. And it's like, you've had enough of that. You've done your part. It's still going to be hard, but at the same time, I'm taking that away. Um, and so I guess what I hope from that story is just that other people know that things do get better at some point. Um, there are going to be hard things that last for a long time, whether it's a you know chronic illness or whether it's your mental state that just lasts for a long time, and it's really hard. And there's still thoughts of me saying, why was I able to get over it when some people can't? And um, just know that there's light at the end of the tunnel for sure there. And the reason I share that story with you, because, um, you know, in the coming years after we get married, um, there are other trials that come up with us. And I hope that people recognize that those things can, we can be creative in how we overcome our trials. So is that what, um, <clears throat> in terms of just progression of life, was that the first time that you were faced with something where it's like, I can't get, I can't get out of this. Yeah. You know, where before you were like, I'm a competitor, I'm going to set the goals. So you were so in control of your trajectory in life. But that was the first time, you know, during those years where you're like, yeah, I, I got nothing. 100% limiting factor for me, right? To say, I can't do this. It's not up to me. <clears throat> where you were in college when you went to see some help. I was right before my mission. So, yeah. Okay. I was in my first year of college. And that was that your parents' idea? Hey, let's go talk to somebody? Yeah. So because my dad was a doctor, he had friends that were he was, um, and every, so He was comfortable. He understood the, yep. the, the medical side of it, right? Yeah. And my dad's, one, my dad's one that always said, you know, as a family physician, if I can't treat you with medication, with, you know, help here, with a surgery there, then go seek other, you know, complementary alternative medicine. Go see a... a um, you know, a chiropractor, go see a therapist, go see someone, you know, anything can help us. Was the MTC like, did it hit you there? I mean, was there to a certain extent, was it from day one? Like, yeah, this is yeah, I mean, mine to carry. I mean, full, you know, full ability to, I mean, this is just an example, full ability to eat whatever you want at the MTC, right? Captain Crunch to your... <laughs> Your, you know, your endless sausage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet, I lost like ten pounds in the MTC. Um, for anyone that's listening, MTC Missionary Training Center. Yeah. So you you went there for three months. Yeah, two months. Two months prior to going to was that in Provo? Yep, in Provo. And so prior, I'm still in Utah. I'm yeah. somewhat close to family, but in reality, I'm not because I'm not talking to them on the phone. I'm writing letters, and so I'm basically alone. I mean, the good thing I had there is I had friends. I had people that I knew that were also going to serve a mission. And they were in the same MTC, right? The same missionary training center. So 
I had this feeling of, okay, I'm still somewhat tied to home. But then going to Bolivia, I mean, I'm, I'm at the end of the world, in the middle of nowhere, circumstances totally different. And that's, that's probably where it hit me even more. So, yeah. But when you're, when you're, when you were waiting for your mission call, were you were dealing with a lot of these same feelings? Yeah. Oh yeah. Did you throw a party when you received your mission call? Um, or was it pretty private? No, it was private. It was just my family. In fact, I have that video too from my parents and I cried the whole time I read my, yeah, uh, my call. I was so proud to be able to say I'm going on a mission, but at the same time I was so fearful. Like, I can't do this. I can't go for two years. I can't even go for a day to my next door neighbor's house. Yeah, wow. I went to my cousin's house in Arizona <clears> for two weeks, came home a week early because I couldn't stay for, you know, more than a week. Mm. Um, and so I just like, how am I going to do this? It's anxiety striking, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's a lot of just, so the therapist that I met with, one thing that he taught me that helped me a ton on my mission was find yourself in a place that's calming to you. And this was before I left, right? And I mean, there's so many, uh, so many ways to treat and right and to think. But my mindset was it was really important for me to be in the right mindset. So find a place that's awesome to you, that's calming, that's your comfortable place. And for me, I used to run up in the foothills of of Logan. So I remember Green Canyon with my dog, my golden retriever Kelsey. I'm sitting on a rock. I'm sweating. And yet I can see the sun setting in Cache Valley and I can smell the wind across the wheat fields and I can, you know, just sense a calming nature. And so he had me do this all the time. And I probably reiterated, reenacted that a hundred times on my mission when I was in the worst place. I would go and I would sit down. I would sit on a park bench. I would sit in my bed and just close my eyes and see myself with Kelsey in Green Canyon with those same sources and it gave me a lot of comfort i know that this is probably the first time that you've gone public with this but can we double click a little bit more on it yeah for sure so <clears throat> being made you know married to a therapist i hear you know my wife liza come home often and she's meeting with you know missionaries and she's meeting with adults and you know people of all ages and one of the brilliant things that you just described is you know, in her practice, she talks about it all the time. And that is when you are away or when you are in a situation and you now need to cope with the anxiety that you're in, if you have not practiced it, if you don't have the tools, you can't use them. And what you just described was meeting with a therapist and having a strategy that you then could draw on and use. You had practiced it before you left and then you could employ it, you know, when you needed it. And one of the challenges that happen often, we talk about this, we talked about it, you know, in the Utah High School Cycling League training was, you know, when kids get to the race, they are anxious and they now want to fix. They're like, well, make it go away. Like, what do I do? And although as coaches, you want to help them in the moment, you don't practice the tool in the moment you know, you practice it before you need it. You have to have the tools in your toolkit to be able to draw from them. And that was such a great example of you being out there on a mission and knowing exactly this, the tool to use and the strategy. It didn't necessarily make it all go away, but would you say that that was your go-to coping? That was the coping strategy in the moment? It was 100% that and prayer. 
honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> prayer helped a lot. And whether it's meditation or prayer, whatever it is for you, um, believing in a source that can help you is really, really key. Because um, some things in this life we just can't overcome alone. And sometimes we're going to have people by us that understand us, that give us those tools. Yeah. And that helps a ton. But then just prayer and knowing that we're all living on this life, trying to do our best for something more really helped a ton too. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. <clears throat> I I often wonder, you know, how someone as driven and capable and as achievement um, focused as you are having done a lot of stuff, what role that continues to play when to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, I've got this one, you know? So you alluded to a trial right now, yeah. but before we get there, you know, maybe go back to just early career, you know, you and Kara, yep. you know, newlyweds, go from that point and yeah. talk through school and getting professional going. Yep. So Kara and I got married 2003 and bought our first home. We lived in the basement. It was probably the size of this office times half. <laughs> so about 600 square feet. We lived in the basement, fixed up the top and rented out the top. Then we moved to the top and fixed out the bottom and ran it out the bottom, sold the home, and that's what paid for part of grad school. Um, so Kara did a master's in second language teaching um, while I was working just prior to going to school. I worked at Al Sporting Goods for, well, worked there, and then spent all my money there. So <laughs> yeah. we didn't, I'm a gearhead too. You guys have talked about that. But um, another day, another, another story for another day, but um, worked there. Worked at a golf course for a little bit just to um, just to kind of learn that a little, and then started a job at the hospital because I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Um, did that for two two and a half years. I'm a learner by doing, right? When I do something and then I go learn about it, it seems to stick better for me. So I thought that was important. So she finishes her grad school like a week before we have Will, our first boy, who's now 16, almost 17, and then we move out. Will's like six months. We move out to Minnesota. I do an MBA and an MHA, so a three. it's usually two years each. I, I do them in three years, uh, just this combined program and in, at the University of Minnesota. Um, the MHA program there, there is well-known. It's been around for a long time. The MBA program's top 25, and so I thought, gosh, they're saying I can come. I'm going to go for sure. And I did the dual degree because I knew, um, one, I wanted to be in healthcare. But the MBA to me was awesome because it allowed me, one, to network with people that are in business, that are doing finance, they're doing venture capital, they're doing you know, banking, they're doing marketing. And that was really key for me. Um, I'm, I'm one that believes that experiences and knowledge are power. And so, um, yeah, it took me an extra year and it took me an extra $20,000 or whatever it might be, but I got to do a study abroad in Costa Rica learning about ecotourism. Am I ever going to use it? Probably not, but it's an experience and it's a knowledge that I now have that I wouldn't have otherwise. So anyway, we do that for three years. I couldn't, I'm competitive, couldn't have my wife outdo me with one master's. I had to do the two. Um, <laughs> and so I did, a, I did an internship for a year with the innovation lab down at Mayo Clinic, um, one of the well-known um, health systems hospitals in the, in the country. In, in the, Rochester. In Rochester. Um, my brother was a resident there at the same time, which is pretty cool to be a part of uh, there with him. And then a year I worked for United Healthcare. Uh, healthcare is a, uh, in their um, managed care networks. And then um, after that, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio for a couple of years. Um, I did what they call a fellowship, um, which is similar to a medical residency, but for administrative people. So um, 
uh, Cleveland Clinic was, again, a really well-known organization. That's one thing that I've tried to do my whole career and just in life, right? I try and hang out with the best people I can, you know, people like you guys. I try and work for the best organizations that I can. Uh, you, you talked about it, you know, you, you try and be with and be like the people that you're at so that you can reach your next level of potential. Um, and at the same time, you try and be that person for other people that are trying to succeed and grow. So being a mentor in that way is also key. Um, so anyway, then went to Cleveland Clinic, um, stayed there for a couple of years. We bought a home thinking we'd be there six, seven years. And this next trial in our life kind of uh, came about. So we had Will on our own. Um, pretty easily. Uh, it took us a little bit, but pretty easily. And then we tried to have another child for, uh, what, three, four or five years and just couldn't. We tried some, um, you know, some of the minor, less expensive fertility treatment and it just didn't work. And we were in Cleveland and um, just knew we needed someone else in our family. We needed another child. And, uh, and so we decided to adopt um, and Again, could go off for a long time on that. Used an agency here in Utah, um, used uh, LDS Family Services in Cleveland to get approval, but used a private agency here because it was faster for us. And we had tried for so long that we were just ready. And, you know, the expenses of adopting, that was more expensive than our my grad school, right? And so that <coughs> financially set you back a little bit. But I would have paid triple. I would have paid quadruple. I would have paid any amount to know. And as soon, and so we got Eli from birth. Um, we came out to Utah. The birth mother was from Georgia. She came out here and, and we adopted Eli, um, at birth. And I remember holding him the first, you know, to giving him, giving him his first bath. And there was n absolutely no doubt when I first saw him that he was my son. Um, you know, we all come in different ways to families, um, and there was no doubt that he came just in a different way. And the truth is, you know, our twins, uh, seven years later, we tried for seven more years after that to have kids. So what, you know, 12, 13 years trying to have kids, and um, this was our third and final attempt with our twins of fertility treatments of, you know, the most expensive ones we could. Again, huge expense, but it's worth it. To create a family is just totally worth it. So they came in a totally different way. Right? And we try and tell our, tell our kids that they each came in different ways. Just because Eli's black and looks different, our twins are different, right? Because they're twins and they came in a totally different way. They were frozen for three years as embryos. And then, you know, we're born through fertility. Um, and we feel so blessed to be able to have all four of our boys. Um, so those were trials that for a long time our faith was tested for sure. Just like, why? It's, it's such an innocent, you know, meaningful desire. And yet there's people all over the place having kids that probably shouldn't or don't want to. Um, why this? And I've really, I've really learned that trials, any trial in our life, you know, whether it's not winning the race or whether it's, you know, not being able to have kids or, you know, unemployment, whatever it is, are actually, they, ha they all happen for a reason. There is no coincidence and they make us stronger, better people in the long run, and they always prove to put you in a better place than they would have otherwise. So I choose to be grateful and happy for those things and not ticked off or disappointed or angry or upset. Yeah. What did, uh, how did that, I guess, how has it galvanized your relationship with Kara? 
um, gosh, a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of holding hands and, um, just being grateful for what we have. Um, you know, having Will for a period of time only, and then for another seven years, having both Will and Eli only and saying, you know what, let's just focus on what we got. Let's love them to death. And if this is all we got, then we're just going to love them and love them and love them. Um, we made that conscious choice. And then, you know, finally got blessed with two more. So I think it just allowed us to really set our goals together to say, okay, what does it mean if we only have one or if we only have two? I mean, one is more than a lot of people are able to have. So let's be grateful for it and, and let's work together to be the best mom and dad that we can to this one or to this two or now to this four. Um, so yeah, it's, it's drawn us closer together because we had to rely on each other for sure. And some days I was in a good place and could help her. And some days, and most days she was in a good place and could help me. I've got to think, I mean, you're going through all of this or, or <coughs> while you're yeah. away from family. It's just the two of you. Yeah. Right. You're on your own. Oh, and that's awesome. If you don't have a chance, I mean, anyone out there right now that has a chance to say, let's move away from family. Let's get out of mom and dad's basement. Let's, you know, get away from their penny. Um, hundred percent do it. I mean, the happiest years of our lives were in married student housing, you know, in this apartment that reeks like the rest of the world because so many people are there <laughs> and yet we're just enjoying the simple, simple things of life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. With zero income living yeah. off student loans. Right. And, and you just make it work and you make it work. Yeah. And it's like, it's amazing. So yeah, totally galvanized our family as a, as an individual source. And that's why I think I actually appreciate living an hour north and an hour south of both of our families, mm -hmm. just on our own. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for yeah. being a little vulnerable there. So after Cleveland Clinic, um, we move out to Utah. There's, we wanted to move. After we adopted Eli, we just realized we need to be back closer to family. Um, actually couldn't sell our house for 10 years after in Cleveland because the market there is pretty pretty poor. Um, but moved out here, um, started with Intermountain Healthcare, and have uh, for the last 13 years or so been with Intermountain Healthcare. Um, was the um, assistant administrator or COO of a couple hospitals, excuse me, from small community hospitals to um, the COO and, and most recently the CEO of larger hospitals, trauma facilities, um, larger high-growth community hospitals, um, and uh, just have loved my career making a difference in, you know, in the mission of Intermountain is to help people live the healthiest lives possible. And I love that just in the fact that whether you're the Olympic athlete or the person that's struggling um, to get out of bed, our mission is to help you live your best life. Um, and so just firmly believe in that, whether it's Intermountain or not. How did, tell us about the transition, because over the last several months, you went from COO, which you were in, you know, that capacity for a number of years to then being promoted. And so talk through that, just the process. Yeah, I mean, um, the last six years, so I moved up and met you all um, about six, seven years ago. Um, we were, I was in Utah County for a long period of time, was the CEO of a smaller community hospital there, COO of um, multiple hospitals down there, and then we moved up here. Part of it was honestly just the organization said, well, you move up there. And I, we had just built a home in Eagle Mountain, loved it, and, and yet, you know, you kind of take the opportunity as it comes. So we moved up here. Um, didn't actually think of Mountain Green, had never heard of it. Went yeah. to Pleasant View, went to North Ogden, went over into Huntsville. We loved Huntsville in that area. And then on our way home, we drove over, over Trapper's Loop and saw this place. And we're like, oh, my goodness, we got to live here. And, 
gosh, I mean, what a blessing. I've, I, I couldn't be happier with where we live and, and the people <clears> that we're <throat> surrounded by. Uh, but Jackson, let's edit this out. We don't need to endorse Mountain true. Green for any more people. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, you welcomed me, so I got to welcome you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, but um, so, so have been up here six, seven years. Was at McKady Hospital, a large trauma facility, um, level two trauma facility, and acted as the COO in, in multiple different capacities for the last like five years. And then my boss kind of took a new job. He was the CEO of the hospital. He kind of took a job that was leading him toward other ventures within Intermountain. And they asked me for a few months to take on the interim CEO job of a large trauma hospital, right? And to be the CEO at the same time. And I said, you know, I can keep things afloat for a few months. Let's do it. And then a few months became six months, became 16 months. And I learned a lot from that opportunity because, the, um, you know, in the end, they filled that role of the CEO and I applied for it and I interviewed and I didn't get the job. And I was pretty ticked off. Um, I've been doing the job for 16 months. And first of all, you tell me for just to, to do it for a few months and then you add on a few more and a few more. Had you told me for a year and a half, I would have taken a totally different route. Yeah. I would have set a vision. I would have set a, you know, a stage for how we can be successful in the next two years. And, you know, not, not blaming by any means, but I was, I was disappointed that I wasn't given that opportunity to then lead in the long term. And so I had to take a few days off. And I went up to our family cabin and I went on a bunch of trail runs and I listened to a bunch of cool podcasts and good talks that re-centered me on what's really important in life and reiterate, reiterated the fact that, you know what, everything happens for a reason. There's actually a calm about this that um, helps me realize that something else is out there. And, you know, a month later, the person that took the job moved from the other hospital and I became the CEO of that hospital, Leighton Hospital, right? Smaller hospital, but really allows me a lot more autonomy super high growth, which I'm an entrepreneur by heart. So um, I love the growth small enough that I can wrap my arms around it, get to know people, um, build it, build around the community and, um, and just allowed me the opportunity to have a little more balance in my life. So I actually was really glad it happened. And yet at the same time, you know, alluding to the next phase in my life, when I didn't get that other job, that CEO job at McKD, I just had this feeling like, you know what, maybe there's something else out there in the long run for me. I should open some doors. I should start networking again. Not, I always network. I'm a networker in my nature because I'm a connector. But I thought maybe I should, you know, network. Um, and so I reached out to some friends and to others and both of you and others saying, you know, how should I think about this? What other things should I be thinking about? And that alone spurred some things that are happening now. So fast forward seven, eight months, I'm in this new gig. Um, I'm the CEO of a hospital. Every hospital in the country has to have a CEO by state law, right? By license, we are tied to the license of the hospital. It's like the most stable job ever. And we're doing awesome things. We're growing 123 million revenue and continuing to expand 10, 15, 20% per year. Super stable. And yet out of the blue, this is what? Super fresh about a month ago. I get a call from my boss, the regional vice president, saying, hey, can you meet? Myself and the vice president of HR would like to meet. Uh, okay, vice president of HR and my boss want to meet. 
clearly something's happening. And, you know, they share with me, um, we're restructuring as an organization, every region, every market, the market president is now going to be asked to be the CEO of one of the hospitals and the market president. So we've got to eliminate your job. And, you know, it's like, ugh, the weight. I've got four kids at home. I've got a, you know, family and I, I've got, um, you know, just a life that I need to be able to provide. That's the, where I have a, so much value in my life, right, is being able to provide for a family. And yet I don't have that now in three weeks. I have zero of that. Um, and yet, for some reason, I just had this calm feel about me. Like, you know what? It's a good thing. Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay, take my job. You know, it's like, why am I giving up on this? Why am I not pushing? And I pushed and I, you know, said, why not look at it this way? And why not do this and that? Stability of a job is amazing. But there was this calmness. And I think one, it's because I have a faith in something more. And two, it's because I had done my work prior to that to say, I'm going to open some doors otherwise. And so it gave me a calmness. Now, you know, I'm not 100% secured still, but I got things in the works and I'm super excited about them. And it wouldn't have happened had I not gotten that no seven months ago. Um, I wouldn't have been as prepared. So I think there's a lesson in that, right? A life lesson of take no's as an opportunity to build something down the road and know that the Lord, that a higher power has more in store for you than you even know. Amazing. What's interesting is, uh, you know, I don't know if it was the day of or the day after, but I remember reading your LinkedIn post, you know, about you having your, your position eliminated. And I remember thinking, this is the most classy exit, you know, I've ever seen. And I think that that says a lot, you know, to your character. And, you know, at the same time, um, I've known you for a few years and I, and I've said this to you before, but I still believe this. I don't know that there's anybody with the higher ceiling that you have, you know, it's your, your potential and your capability is so high. So wherever you end up, those people are getting a gem. I really feel that way. Like I would not want to compete you not in the decathlon in elementary school and sure as heck not now, you know, in life. I just, I really feel that way. So that's nice. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible way that you exited, you know, there. So in light of that, in light of all growing up and the setbacks, you know, on a mission, um, you know, the, the way that you and Kara went through, um, you know, the struggles of having children and, and now these things, you know, that have happened, struggle continues to happen, mm -hmm. right? It just does. How do you stay stoked? How do you stay this way? Because you still keep battling. Oh, man. I, I don't have a great answer for it, honestly, other than the fact that I, I think, um, you know, I had this term on my mission that I would write at the bottom of every letter, keep on keeping on. Um, I just think if we keep plugging away and... You know, and, and yes, we have to be planned and we have to have a strategy and we have to know that we're doing our part. Um, but if we keep plugging away, then we're bound to find success somewhere. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's financial success and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's success in just our own mindset. Um, 
But I think that's one big thing. I think my wife believing in me has made a huge difference for me. When I feel lowest, when I feel like I'm depleted, um, just her confidence in me is huge, right? And when the people that believe in you most have confidence in you, I don't think there's any stopping you, right? Um, one of my favorite movies, Cinderella Man, um, about the story of James J. Braddock, right? And the boxer, yeah. the depression, where he boxes and then basically injures himself, has to go work on the docks, comes back, you know, years later um, and says, hey, you got to reinvent yourself. Go box again. And he does, and he's successful, right? He didn't give up on it and reinvented himself and kind of remade himself. And I think that hits home to me, just to say, you know what? Things are going to happen. And the truth is those things, as hard as they might be, are really for your good. And they make you a better leader, a better husband, a better so-and-so in the long run. Just keep that in mind. Now, yeah, be sad, be depressed for a little bit, be distraught, whatever, but don't loathe in it. Don't, don't, you know, bake yourself in it. Get out of it and keep going. Keep on keeping on. Do you think <clears throat> the calmness that you alluded to when your when your position was eliminated is that a was that a learned behavior that you had finally figured out? Or is there something more to that? I think in general, I mean, my belief, I've alluded to it a couple times, I think everything in life is a combination of nature and nurture. Um, I think part of it was is nature. I just don't hold on to things, and I let things fall off of me pretty quickly. Um, but at the same time, I think part of it was learned in the fact that I had been through hard things. And knowing, you know, 15 years later that we have four boys and it worked out, um, seeing some of those things now years later made me realize, okay, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'll have a job a month from now or a year from now, but I know something will work out for the better. Yeah. Just like my kids did, just like my homesickness did, just like whatever else. Um, you know, and so I, I think, I think it's both nature and nurture. One of the things is you just finished saying that, that I was hoping that we, we would draw out of you today in getting together was that people would hear that you can struggle in confidence, that it is possible to struggle and still maintain confidence in your ability to withstand trial. You know, that what you just described all through that was that not being able to have kids, you know, <laughs> homesickness, losing your job as the CEO of one of the, you know, if not the largest employer in this state, that it didn't define you. You're still Scott, you're mad, but you have the capability of separating who you are and your ability to do and become from something that happened in life. It wasn't your life. That wasn't, that didn't define all of it. And I think that's remarkable, you know, and, and rare. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who have the capability to just say, well, that happened, but it's not necessarily me. And we had some vulnerable discussions, you and I, I'm sure you've talked to Preston about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not to say that, you know, you weren't Arsenio Halling, you know, as you walked out of that job, but, um, but you maintained your dignity and your confidence and your ability to, to still be you. Well, I think it's, it, it kind of goes back to that decathlon of life. Um, you know, I, I might not have taken first place in that job, right, because the job was eliminated. 
but um, you know, I've got so many other events that I can compete in, um, and that I can make part of it. Um, and you know, and we'll get to the other kind of some of the other ventures I have from you know Morty's Car Wash and otherwise. But I, I guess my my thought in in life in general is it's just one event, move on to the next event. Um, and um, you know, if you took 18th place, take first in the next one or take second. And by doing that, we we don't define ourselves by one single investment, right? Just like just like in investing, they they we aren't supposed to put all of our money in one stock, right? put it in a diversified stock, put it in land, put it in, you know, real assets. Same thing applies to life, right? Don't put it all in one. That doesn't define you. Um, yeah, it's a big part of it. Um, and you might have most of your money in stocks and you might have most of your value in your job, but man, there's so much more to life than just that. I think we could end there <laughs> just because of what you just described the last 30 seconds about you may have not gotten first in this but that is just one part of life. And I think as men, that's hard, mm -hmm. right? Because I put so much pressure on myself to be the provider, to be the money to do. I have a lot of pride in that, in my capability to do it. And when it doesn't go well, when I don't win my first place, that hurts, you know? So I, what you just described, I think, is so refreshing to, I think, a lot of men. You know, that that does not have to define, you know, who you are or how the rest of your life can go. Having said that, talk about these other things, because I love that you have diversified, you know, that you have other things going like Morty's. So describe just some of those other things that um, you're doing and that you're involved in. Well, um, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. Just balance is so key to me. Um, and I find a lot of happiness and joy in, in being busy. Um, and so, you know, 10 years ago, uh, I was down living in Eagle Mountain, one of the fastest growing communities in the state of Utah. Um, there was a Maverick and there was a golf course and there was a bunch of homes and that's about it. And it was kind of in the middle of the desert, but I saw this need and, and I mean, first and foremost, I have to recognize John White and, um, mentor of mine who has owned a successful business, sold it just for fun, bought a couple car washes, bought a distributor to re-diversify his money. And over a long period of time, almost weekly, I would call John and just pick his brain about car washes for some reason. As you know, I'm a little OCD about, <laughs> you know, organization and cleanliness. And so in high school, I had a good <clears throat> friend, Chris Davis, who is his dad owned a, a, a dealership um, up in Logan. And we would go to the dealership and we would wash our cars. And this became like a thing for me. Uh, clean car, clean, you know, clean body, clean mind, clean whatever. And so um, I became, I kind of had this fetish for clean cars. And so as I got older, I'm like, this is a business thing. I can do this. And John kind of turned me on to car washes. In Eagle Mountain, I was this close to starting a car wash. And then, of course, we moved up to this direction. And so I had this business plan to say, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna start a car wash. So um, it's been about a year now, May 10th, I think is our anniversary and invite you guys to the birthday party on, on uh, May 10th. Um, I appreciate your support already. But um, so as I got up here, I realized I'm going to do one here. Um, you know, there's this South Weaver, this growing area that um, has a really busy Maverick. I had my two boys go with me when we first moved up to, um, to Mountain Green, go down to South Weaver I had one of them sit at the south end, the north entrance of Maverick and one of them sit at the east entrance for eight hours 
it's like 12 year old and nine year old <laughs> and they sat there and they counted cards <laughs> that went into the maverick and out of the maverick to say is there potential here is there enough volume right we're right off 89 right out of 84 but is there enough volume and they counted cars for me and i realized okay i'm going to do this so i've got you know four other investors that have invested in the car wash with me um and um i've learned a lot along the way starting your own business is not easy um, it takes a lot more than just a, hey, let's go start a business. Totally. Big or small, it's really hard. From, you know, operating agreements to the legal to purchasing and working with cities and counties to rezone to pleasing investors. It's a hard thing for me, knowing that I haven't been able to, you know, give them their money back yet. And yet we're, you know, 10 months in. I'm good with it. But it's also taught me a lot about drive. A lot about mentorship. I've got four college kids that are working there that I'm teaching how to run their own business and reconcile accounting and, and how to market and how to sell. Um, so it's just taught a ton of, to me, and it's helped me realize that I can create. And again, I go back to that. Life is about creating. Um, we need to learn. We all need to learn how to create, whether it's a business, a family, um, a memory, an experience, create whenever you have a chance, create something, create a piece of artwork, right? Um, and diversify where you're spending your time because that's where value and knowledge comes from. That's the only thing we're going to take with us. So you might as well do it. Yeah. So that's kind of why I've done that. I mean, it's to diversify financially and have a passive income. And I'd love to do two or three, four more. So if you know of any good places <laughs> um, that are growing, let me know. But more, it's, more than anything, it's about diversifying and giving my kids a chance to be able to work too there in yeah. the future. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it is for sure. I think it's so cool what you've done. And it's a great wash. Thanks. Morty's in South Weber. Re I'm Go get it. representing with both the ball cap, by the way, socks too. <clears throat> oh, sweet. Tom's got his color socks. That's right. So the thing that I've learned there too is, um, you know, spend the money and the time researching. We have a, a kind of a cool concept that does a 3D image of your car. And it's a pretty customized wash, right? If you drive a Mini Cooper versus a Ford F-350, it'll adjust and wash your car in a different way. And it's not perfect, and we learn from the customer experiences, but it's been a fun thing to learn in a totally different area that I've never known. Yeah. So, anyway. It's awesome. Totally cool. How do you want to end this? There's a number of ways that you can, but I'm intrigued to know just if you want to freestyle for a minute, if there's any one person or people or whoever that you would love to share a heartfelt message with let her rip gosh i don't know why this is on my mind um but i'll share with you k reese gosh she is amazing she was um my elementary kindergarten teacher then became my second grade teacher, then became my principal at Edith Bowen Laboratory School up at Utah State. Um, she gave me more hope in my life than ever. Um, I'm in elementary school, right? And I want to be successful. And at the school, you earned big blue bucks. You earned big blue bucks that you could spend at the school store like any school. And I wanted the most big blue bucks I could get. I wanted them so much that I took my brother's big, big blue bucks and erased his name on the back <laughs> and put my name on the back. And I handed them in. And somehow she found out and she saw it. 
And she called me down to her office and said, Scott, I know you're better than this. You have values and you're an amazing kid. You're going to earn your big blue bucks. You just go and earn them. And this sounds really stupid, but like two years later, I got the Hope of America Award, right, in fifth grade. So be it. It's like one of 25 people. For some reason, that award, like, I haven't mentioned it yet, but it drove me to want to be my best for the rest of my life, right? And Kay Reese has been my friend ever since. She comes to all our family parties. She, you know, I, I see her at times, and um, as she gets older, I could hug her every day and thank her for what she did for me, for my confidence, and for teaching the value of honesty, first of all, right? But then just um, of having hope that I can be something special in my life. And I was just a normal kid that wanted to have fun and be active. But man, she made me believe and she still makes me believe. I mean, I see her and every time I text her or call her, she's like, you're amazing, Scooter. <laughs> uh, you, are, you are the best person. And I think if we can be mentors and if we can accept it from other people, life's, life's bound to be better yeah. when we believe in ourselves and when other people believe in us. So that's what I would say. Man, I love, I'm so stoked that we finished talking about educators and teachers because I, they're my heroes too. I mean, they changed my life. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the Brainstoke podcast, dude. Oh, it's been awesome. You're awesome in so many ways. And we now know he's called Scooter, <laughs> which has done my heart some good, too. <laughs> <laughs>